Welcome to the Learn Stage Lighting Podcast. This is the show where newcomers and professionals alike come to learn more about stage lighting. And now your host, David Henry. Wow, guys, can you believe it? 91 episodes. We're almost to 100. It's crazy. And uh, so a couple little uh, show business here is uh, we're going to do at least for a little season here every other week on the show. Um, questions are going to come from patrons over at Patreon. That's learnstagelighting.com slash Patreon. You can get that there. You can join for just three bucks a month and ask questions on the show, among other great things. All right. So lighting news today, guys. Um, I You know, today's topic, um, just to, to give you a brief um, intro to it before we really get there in a minute, is do you need a 3D visualizer? Yes, I admit I'm part of the problem. And we're going to talk about, uh, in today's main segment, 3D visualizers, what they do, what they don't do, and whether or not you really need one. It's going to be juicy. All right. And so I hope you find it juicy. But in lighting news, I want to talk about this new tech that um, I heard about it on the Geezers of Gear podcast. We'll link to it. And it's called Cluster. And if you're into lighting, you know that there's DMX. And truth be told, if you really get into DMX, if you start drilling into it and you get a lot of lights it starts to get a little complicated to set up, right? Because every time you run out of a DMX universe or you have more than one universe of lights, you have to sit down with, you know, like a pen and paper or in a console and start to figure out, okay, what lights do I put on what universes and how am I going to distribute all of this lighting data um, to the correct lights and get everything plugged in correctly and get it working? The truth is, you know, like I said, the DMX protocol, I mean, it's from the 80s, people, you know. And so back then, the processors that, you know, they had to be able to run this stuff were like less powerful than, you know, anything we have today. I mean, your phone, you know, blows it away for sure. Um, and so technology's come a long way, but we're still using DMX. And why do we use DMX? Well, we use DMX because it's very reliable. Okay. It's fairly simple to set up. And, Truth be told, you can really mess with the cables or mess with the the way you implement it, and it'll still, for the most part, turn out really okay. <laughs> All right, um, and so you know that's why we use it. But this cluster um, KLSTR, because I think that's what the cool people are doing today, is they pull the valves out of it. They feel like they don't need them. Uh, <laughs> I'm kidding, but. You know, these people basically, I heard about on the Geezers of Gear show, they're they're building a new version of DMX, basically a whole new protocol that you're able to go in and they don't have all the details on the site. They talk about it more um, on the Geezers of Gear podcast, but there's only so much info on their site. So, um, but from what I remember, you know, it's a new protocol where basically you can bring into the fixture data, put it on this network and then when you basically start up your console, there's a lot that the console will do for you and into talking to the fixtures, auto addressing them, automatically finding where they are and making it all work together. And the cool part about this, the really smart thing with these people is they claim that, you know, it's really just a network based thing. And so the console manufacturers are not going to have to add in special hardware to support this or anything like that that only the makers of the lights are going to have to do that and the cost of the device per light is going to be very low. So that means that if this thing takes off, it could be easier to set up, um, especially large lighting rigs, uh, very soon. Of course, you know, things move slowly in any industry, um, especially on the manufacturing side. So don't think that next year you're going to be seeing this, um, you know, everywhere. But 
truth be told, um, as they say in the show, like it takes, you know, somebody finding a solution, which they seem to have done, then testing it, using it, and ultimately the users kind of demanding it for, for it to take hold. So um, check that out, sign up for their newsletter, and uh, definitely, you know, check, be paying attention to that because it could change how we talk to lights. All right, main segment today, guys. Um, do you really need a 3D visualizer? Now, the reason why I get on this soapbox, and if you're here on the show, you've probably heard me on this soapbox before, but it goes like this. You go ahead and, and you go online, and you see on a Facebook group or on a forum, probably not a forum anymore, but on something like that, um, that you know somebody's in there, they say, I need a lighting visualizer, but I don't have any money, so it's got to be free. Right. I'm just, you know, a lighting tech. Uh, you know, I don't buy, I don't own the lights. I don't own the console. I just need a visualizer to be able to prepare for my show so that I can, I can do a good job. I need a visualizer for free. So can somebody send me, you know, a crack of capture or can somebody send me, um, a workaround to be able to use grand MA 3d with my, um, with, you know, whatever console I'm using, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, and what sparked me talking about this today was recently somebody in the Onyx group on Facebook posted a workaround to use the MA3D visualizer with Onyx, and the the moderators of that group took it down, and they, they should have. Why should they have taken it down? Well, because it's against the terms of use for the visualizer, right? And it's totally a hack. Like, it's it basically exploits um, a vulnerability, you know, a, a way to get through that's in certain versions of that software. And it's completely against what MA says you can use that software for. So it's illegal, you know? And so it's not something that obviously we can condone or we can say is okay because it's, it's not. You know, the people that are selling this software that are, you know, feeding their families based off this software, if they say you can't do it, then... I don't want you to do it, right? That in that case, it's illegal, you know, whether or not anybody actually goes after anybody for it. Sure, probably not going to happen. But regardless, um, you know, a lot of people are looking for a visualizer. And many of you guys know I use Capture. Um, actually, a couple days before this goes live on YouTube, I'll have a review of the uh, visualizer L8CE. They have a new um, yearly subscription, which is a little cheaper than Capture um, if you do need a visualizer. And then also on the free end, um, I've got actually an, an article called uh, So You Want a Lighting Visualizer. And in there, I, I talk about the, the different free visualizers. And, and one that sticks out to me is the Camsys Magic Viz, because that is the only console-based one that I know of that you can download, put on a PC, and they're okay with you using it with other consoles, okay? There's a little bit of a, of a setup to it. You have to patch your show in Camsys, then send it from the other console, send the data into to an input on Camsys, but then you can use that visualizer for free. But we're getting off of off of track of where I was trying to go with this, which is just simply, do you really need a 3D visualizer? And the reason why I get excited about this, the reason why I get a little bit worked up about it is because when I first started programming moving lights, okay, when I was a young boy, no, really, you know, it was almost 10 years ago now when I was first learning how to program with moving lights. And guess what? The computers that we had sure could not run a visualizer. I mean, visualizers technically did exist at that time. There were some, you know, there were a couple of them out there. They were very basic and they, they required very powerful computers, which 
at the small production company I was working at, we weren't going to have that kind of stuff, okay? We just had some hog twos, some hog threes, and some lights, okay? And so the question then became, okay, how do I learn to program? How do I become a decent enough programmer that this company will put me out on shows as a programmer without using a visualizer or something else? Well, back then, using a visualizer wasn't an option. So how did I learn to program or how did I pre-program shows when I was new so that I could have an upper hand when I got on site because I wasn't that good or that fast of a programmer? Well, I want to give you guys a couple tips of things that I did so that you can learn from them and use them and be able to program without a visualizer and still make an awesome show, okay? Now, if you're new to this, um, this is going to center around professional lighting consoles, but this will apply to other lighting consoles as well. And so the first thing that I would suggest is, you know, the name of the game is presets, 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 okay? Or palettes, 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 okay? Any modern moving light console, any modern professional style lighting console is going to have presets or palettes, as they're sometimes called. Um, it, it depends on the console you're in. And what these do is these allow you to pre-program, say, a color. Say you pre-program red or a position, a place on stage. And you pre-program that into a preset or a palette. And then you pre-program that into all your different cues. And the cues reference that palette. They look back to that palette to be able to play back um, the color when, when it's called for. The cool thing about this is that you can update that palette later and every cue built from it gets updated. Now, don't overlook this because here's what you can do. Even if you can't get a single light in front of you for a show, you can pre-program a bunch of different colors. You can pre-program positions on stage. And you don't have to have the actual values of where these things need to go. You just need to program something in all those palettes. And then from those palettes, long before you even touch a light, you can build cues that use these different positions you've envisioned in, these mi in your mind, that use these different colors you've envisioned in your mind. And when you get on site, or I've got an alternate as well, even if you just get in the warehouse and have one light in front of you, you go ahead and you update those palettes, right? Because what we used to do, seriously, was say we were programming a new file. Okay, I'd just get one of each light out in the warehouse, one of the moving lights, one of the LEDs, etc. And then I could go ahead and I could program all my color palettes. I could program all my gobo palettes, okay? I couldn't do the position ones because, of course, they're not in the right place. But I could do all the intensity palettes. There were a lot of palettes that I could pre-build just by getting one fixture out. I could program it for all my fixtures in that given show and know with confidence that when I got on site, they were going to look right or be very close, right? Because sure, the warehouse lighting might be a little different than the room that the, the show's in, but ultimately the color is going to be pretty close than what I saw in the warehouse. I'm going to get pretty close to that on site. And so... When you use palettes or presets, it really allows you inside of a professional grade console to get on site, really quickly update that stuff and have a show together really fast. In fact, there's actually some other tips um, involving cloning that I teach a lot. And uh, you can check that out inside Lauren Stage Lighting Labs if you're interested. In fact, I've got a whole guide on how to program and how to work smartly, even when you don't have a lot of time called Puntastical, all about running lights on the fly. But that's getting off track here. 
Um, do you need a visualizer? Um, I would argue that you can program a lot of the stuff that you're going to need without needing to be in the space, without needing to, to have a visualizer. And then when you get on site, you've just got to take that 15, 20, 30 minutes, you know, maybe an hour at most, and, you know, program in those positions, move those lights, get them focused, and then you're ready to go. But ultimately, if you start thinking this way about, okay, what can I pre-build into pallets and then build into queues? What kind of things will I know that I'm going to need at this show or at this church service or whatever that I can pre-program now knowing that I just have to update those pallets when I'm on site and then you'll be golden. And uh, one of the cool things about this actually is that there's a lot you can program, especially if you've used the light before, you'll kind of know, okay, these are the gobos I like. These are the effects I like. These are things I can add together. And you can begin to build yourself kind of a template file. I talk more about that in the labs, like I mentioned, but um, coming back to our original thought process here, um, it's that if you literally, if you can't afford a visualizer, okay, L8CE is like $100 a year, Capture, it's like 400 for a single universe, and then it renews for 100 a year, um, and really, you only have to renew that capture license every five years. That's the furthest you can go in between them and still get that $100 upgrade price. So it's like buying it for like four or $500 um, the first year. And then every five years, you just have to re-up that for $100 unless, and it's all in euros because this is visualizers, um, unless you want to upgrade sooner and that's your choice then. And so it doesn't have to be expensive, but if you can't afford that, uh, I would look and I would take a listen to everything I just said and figure out, okay, what can you pre-program in order to make this work? In order to be able to to have a show when you get on site that you can quickly update and then get going and rock and roll with, um, or you know maybe it's a church service, maybe it's a jazz show, who knows? But I say all this to say that you know I, I get this all the time as a lighting teacher, and like I said, I'm part of the problem because I use visualizers a lot and I use them for examples because it's quick and it's easy to be able to create some great stuff, but. I don't think visualizers are for everyone. And truth be told, even today, when I do shows, probably 90% of the shows I do, I do no pre-visualization. Why? Because I start with a good template file. I clone my fixtures into that. Um, again, not something we're going to get deep into today. And I pre-program what I can before I get to the gig and then just update it. And I find that I really don't need to spend that time setting up the rig and the visualizer and building things. Now, sure, if I'm doing something that's more complex, that doesn't have any programming time, but requires some more complex programming, then yeah, I may pre-visualize some things, but really there's a lot you can do um, in a modern console while there's people on stage, while there's a sound check happening, you know, while, um, you know, you're at home and then you just update it on site. And so that's really my point here is that I don't think a lot of the people out there that say they need a visualizer really need it. Is it a helpful tool? Yeah, it can be. It can be really helpful. It can speed up your programming. It can help you explain things to clients and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, I don't, I say if you can't afford it, um, spend the time to really learn the ins and outs of the console of your choice and to figure out ways that in any console, you can pre-program things without being in front of it and update them quick on site. Because I bet if you spend as much time 
as you do trying to get a crack of a visualizer, if you spend just as much time trying to learn and learn deeply how to use your console and pre-program smartly, not only are you going to come out on the other side as a better lighting programmer, but you're also um, going to make yourself faster, you know, faster and better, and then be able to build up that value if you're doing this as a career or doing it for money, where you'll be able to eventually afford a visualizer and then you'll be good. Uh, you'll, you'll have that visualizer. But I don't think it's a magic bullet and I don't think it's as important as a lot of people might seem to think it is. Okay. And so I want to put that out there, guys. You can tell me what you think, of course. Um, as always, you know, comment on YouTube or um, leave a comment in the contact form over at learnstagelighting.com. It's not really one that I reply to anymore um, just because of the amount of stuff that comes in through it. But I do read all the things that come through there. So, I know that was a bit of a rant, guys, but, you know, I want to make sure that I really clearly explain my thoughts on this and just explain to you guys that even if you can't afford a visualizer, there's so much you can do and so much you can learn without one. And, you know, I hate to sound like a geezer, but, you know, ultimately, in order to get my first job programming shows with moving lights, you know, and for a real production company, I had to sit down on a PC without any lights connected and without any visualizer. And I had to find ways to figure out how to learn to program and what I was doing. I had to find things like the output screens um, of my consoles and keep them up and watch and see what I did and see how it affected things and do a lot of guessing. And at the end of the day, I think it made me a much better programmer. And I think it, it will give you a lot of great skills too. Awesome. So guys, Second half of the show is going to be questions. I love to answer your guys' questions, and I get them through our Patreon, guys. So we're shifting to the Patreon model, where for only like three bucks a month, you can ask a question here on the show, and I'm happy to answer them. And so what I do here is um, Patreon or LearnStageLighting.com slash Patreon is uh, where you can join us and where you can ask those questions, and that's where I'm going to answer them from. Now, before we get there, I do have a last few lingering questions from the comments section of LearnStageLighting.com, and I definitely, you know, don't want to ignore those, and so we're, we're going to answer them here. All right, and I do apologize. As always, part of the reason for going to the Patreon is just to be timely with answering, answering questions, because here we've got questions in the comments section from LearnStage Lighting from, you know, like November or before, and, you know, that's not an acceptable amount of time, whereas only for three bucks, hey, you can join us. Great, great thing. So first question here, guys, is from uh, Neil, and he says, uh, the video was very helpful. I got a fair amount of background in stage lighting, but I'm new to DMX. Okay. Um, I've plugged in my console to my fixtures, and they're not talking to each other. I've tried daisy chaining multiple fixtures and just one and getting nothing. Any help would be appreciated. So, Neil, without having any other info as to... Um, exactly what console you're using or what fixtures you're using, etc. I would start by connecting one at a time just to keep it as simple as possible. Um, but chances are you've either not set the addresses on your fixture to match what's in your console or what you're controlling with your console, or you're, there's just something within your console that you're not doing right. So grab the manual for your console. Hopefully it has one that's accurate. Not all the cheap ones do. And there's got to be something going on where you're not sending out that information. Um, the good news is, Neil, that DMX is fairly simple. 
in the sense that the console sends out the info and then um, the fixtures receive it. There isn't really any two-way things that have to happen, um, which is great because that's just more things to mess up. But it means that you're not going to get any feedback from your fixtures, um, except they just don't work. So hopefully that helps. There's, there's got to be something going on either with how you're programming your console or the console itself. Most likely that that is not quite right. David wrote and said, okay, I have a Showmaster um, 48 and Mark II set on two banks of 24. Okay, so this sounds like an old school um, kind of conventional DMX console. Always been working well, but it has now decided to randomly flash all the lights on and off. This has happened after the lights have been on for an hour. Any thoughts, please? Uh, my first thought would be um, make sure you're not like shocking this thing with static electricity. Um, that can sometimes be a problem. If not, if you're having a random flash from everything, I would call your manufacturer um, and try to figure out, get some tech support on the unit because uh, when something's not working the way that it's advertised to or the way it's supposed to, that is where the manufacturer's got to be. All right. Now, here's a fun one, guys. All right. A little comment here. Uh, again, you know, this is from the comment section of Learn Stage Lighting. I've since turned that off just because I can't keep up with them. And I don't think it's fair to have comments where people just leave stuff and then it kind of, you know, where it kind of just hangs out there forever and ever and ever and, and nothing happens. So with that said, um, Let's go ahead and answer Richard's or let's see what Richard has to say and comment on. So Richard says, um, this is on the post about how to get started with light key with only 24 free channels and a paltry maximum of 2048 channels for $349 a year. Who in their right mind would even consider this software when there are alternatives like Onyx and DMX control two slash three Onyx gives you four universes for free and can drive up to 128 universes on their software. Uh, the German DMX control free software can drive up to 16 universes. For those of us with pixel walls along with movers and RGB bars, this light key software wouldn't work regardless of price or features. And I think you hit the nail on the head there, Richard. Um, and, you know, I always love when I get messages like this where somebody's like, who in their right mind? And the answer is that um, it's not for you, right? And that's why I cover a lot of different consoles on this channel and on my my podcast here. And you'll never, ever hear me say, oh, this is the console for everybody or for, you know, some large group of people. You'll never hear me say that because it's simply not true. Everybody's got their own unique needs and background in lighting. There are some people, Richard, uh -huh, many actually, who are new to lighting. And truth be told, learning something as complex as Onyx can seem overwhelming. And it is. I get that. Right. I was talking about earlier when back when I learned Hog 3, um, you know, it took a long time to understand it. And Onyx kind of follows that same programming mentality as Hogs do. And truth be told, these consoles, though they've gotten better, they've gotten a little simpler. They're not vastly simpler. So if you're starting from scratch, you've never done anything before. Um, you're just doing, you know, a handful of lights or, you know, not a ton of them. Light key's a great fit, especially for people that are Mac users. They love it. They love it. They think it works great for their needs, and I wouldn't disagree. In fact, I was just working in Light Key earlier today, actually. And while it's not my choice for shows, I pretty much always do my shows in Onyx or occasionally Light Shark. Um, I was I was walking through somebody, you know, doing some different chases, and it was so easy to change in Light Key to make my chases go um, from the default, which was by fixture number, you know, where it chased by number. It was so easy to just click a button. And now have it go top to bottom based on the 2D view that I'd set up in Light Key. And so, you know, I'd say um, 
there's different strokes for different folks. And, you know, some things are right. All right. So next person, uh, Michael writes in and says, Hi, David. With the Obey 40 from Chevet, I'm thinking about using a MIDI sequencer track from Logic Pro and the MIDI out of my interface to create a sequence and use MIDI note to control the Obey 40. Um, two questions before we spend the money. One, if DMX dimmers are daisy chain, can I c- control them independently to have eight total channels operate separately from the Obey 40? Yes. Next, assuming I'm using MIDI, I understand that MIDI only toggles between scenes or chases on the Obey 40. If I have eight channels and set each light on and off in a separate scene in the first bank and various combinations of lights in the succeeding banks, what happens when two MIDI notes happen together? Would the Obey 40 turn on all lights and correspond to both scenes, or would it pick one scene and ignore the second? Probably that. It probably would pick one scene and ignore the second MIDI note. Um, I'm going to say it's very it's a very simple controller. I don't think it's going to be able to play those two at the same time. Oops. And then he says, I ask because I control the sequence track with a piano, a digital piano, and I have lights as I play piano, but what happens if I play chords on just one scene? Ideally, and it doesn't sound like the OP40 is my prime candidate, yes, I would like to have individual lights light up to various MIDI notes and turn them off when I release them. Is there any controller that does this? You should look at Antec DMXs. Um, lots on my site. We'll link to an article called How Do I Begin with DMXs. Awesome. Again on the Obey 40. Gosh, I should stop talking about the Obey 40. No, really. I know it gets people in, especially when they're brand new with lighting. They find my stuff through the Obey 40, and that's great. Um, You know, I'm not a big fan of it. It works for the simplest of installations and needs, but that's about where it stops. All right. Um, This person is saying that in the demo, I do it differently than the user's guide, uh, which is correct. Good question. I'm trying both, Donna, and see which one works for you. I'm not saying that as a cop out, but what I the reason I am saying that is, um, you know, especially consoles like this Obey 40, they're made cheap, um, they're made overseas, and occasionally thing little minor things change in their software or how they work over time. And so some versions from a certain period of time might do something in a slightly different way from other versions in another time. Or maybe the user guide's wrong. I don't know. Maybe my video's wrong. I mean it worked for me when I shot the video. But maybe it doesn't work for you, and uh, that's okay. All right, before I lose my voice here, um, Vilmos writes in and says, Hi, someone. Dear someone. Uh, Hi, Vilmos. Um, I'm interested in a DMX light controller that works. I already bought something that is good for nothing. This is a device called the Mark Scenic One. And by the way, I looked up that device. And yes, this is a very popular um, unit that many different brands sell the same software under different names. It's made by a German company. Um, nothing against Germans, but this particular company, I've never liked their software from the first time I used it. Um, I still don't like it. I don't like how it works. It doesn't work well. And, um, and so that's my opinion of that. But obviously you already had that opinion of that software. So my need is as false. Light effects can be edited for music. There should be no restrictions in the control program. It doesn't freeze the computer and it should be user friendly. You know, Vilmos, just like, um, I sent, uh, Michael a few minutes ago, I would look at NTEX DMXs. It's really my go-to for people wanting to run small shows based off of music and be able to run it from stage, hopefully, or maybe not. Um, it's a really great s- system, works really, really well, and I highly recommend it. Gary writes, just starting to add lights for my band. One problem that arises is that every club and bar is different, and you can't depend 
on being able to set up the lights the same way at every venue. Sometimes there's enough room. There isn't enough room to set up light stands behind the band. How can I create lighting that is simple? Setup time can be limited, effective, and versatile, adaptable to different stages. All right, Gary. So this is a lot, and it's more than I can answer very quickly here, but I can tell you that inside of Learn Stage Lighting Labs, I've got a number of video tutorials that walk through exactly this. Uh, actually, there's a whole section, I believe, a whole module inside of our course from Zero to Lighting Hero that um, really walks through exactly this kind of stuff. Like, okay, how do you build something that's versatile? How do you build a lighting rig that is easy to set up night after night? And I walk through that. But some quick tips are, um, you know, first of all, it doesn't always matter where you set them up, right? If you can't set them up behind the band, uh, set them up beside the band or in front. And, you know, the light show, if you use a good controller, will still match the music and still, you know, put colors and shadow and, and interest on that band. So that can work. It, it can, you know, if you're in those kind of venues where it's really small, sometimes you'll get the lights behind it. Sometimes the lights might be in front of the band. But, you know, either way, it'll work with the show you've programmed. Um, and then for... Uh, Making simple setup time, you know, I really like little light kits like those uh, Chauvet 4 bars or the ADJ Star Bar washes. They're great because it's just one DMX and one power and you get like four lights that plug in. Um, but even if you don't have those, you know, building basically T-bars and keeping them assembled with the lights on them and the cords all zip tied down and, and uh, or cable wrapped down so that you just have to bring one power and one data to each bar, you know, put it on that put it on the tripod stand, bring in a couple wires and send it up. Um, that will definitely speed up your time for sure. All right. Let's see how many questions we got here. Okay, guys, we'll answer uh, maybe one or two more questions before my voice goes. So um, Charles writes, and a lot of these come up on um, the how to troubleshoot DMX uh, problems article, because of course people come there when they have DMX problems, right? Uh so somebody's got a random flick flickering across a run of daisy chain pars. So they've got 150 feet of Cat5 cable from an old lighting system. Um, hopefully that's Cat5E and not just Cat5, because that could be the source of your problems here. The E changes the cable um, a pretty significant amount, actually, because the Cat5 is not twisted, whereas the E, the cables, um, the pairs inside are twisted, and that actually does a lot for the cable. Um... And we notice, let's see, some of the lights will flicker and then stop. Lately, it started when we have none of the fixtures on. We unplug the DMX from the back of the controller, and it clears up, um, and then it starts flickering. Do, 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 do. So you've got this random flickering issue. It happens from time to time, and you don't know what it's from. Okay, well, this is the kind of thing where you probably need somebody to come in and, and really take a look at things. My best bet is either you've got some really funky power where there might be some extra voltage on that ground of your power that's kind of getting into the data and, and screwing with things. Um, that could be one thing. Um, it's hard to tell, you know, from something like this. Um, another thing is just try putting a DMX splitter into the, the mix and see if putting a DMX splitter in somewhere helps clear it up. Maybe you needed to amplify that signal. Same thing, put a DMX terminator at the end of that, that line of fixtures. Um, sometimes in my experience, it doesn't work. It doesn't help. Sometimes it hurts things, um, and sometimes it helps. It's something that you're supposed to have, according to the DMX specification, but most people on shorter runs like this don't have them, and they're generally fine. Um, and then the last thing is, um, you know, the controller. 
is the controller. Um, it's probably not the controller, actually, because I think you said you have it when you're not using the controller at all. So I'd probably rule out the controller, but always trying a different controller could help as well. Um, and so those would be a couple things to check. Um, again, without being there in person, it, it can kind of be tough. Awesome, guys. Well, that... No, we only got a few more questions. We'll answer them before we lose our voice. So DJ Lightsaber writes in, May the force be with you, DJ Lightsaber. Um, I'm looking for a DJ lighting setup. How much is a good investment to cover small DJ events of around 100 people? Thank you. Um, Gosh, for about 100 people, I would start with some basic lighting for um, the dance floor slash your area. And so I'd get one of those, you know, just start with like one or two of those like Chauvet gig bars or something similar. Um, and uh, get them into a controller or turn them off and on with their foot pedal. Um, getting a real controller will be better, but of course, um, who really knows? And it looks like, okay, this is a site that's actually just trying to get links, and so I'm going to pull the link out of it so that I'm not giving this person a link because they're just kind of spamming sites. Um, but yeah, I would look at those, look at how much they cost in your local currency, and that's that's a good place to start. Justin Avery writes in and says... Elm, um, for controlling LED pixels, seems to only run on Windows. Do you have a recommendation for those of us running on Mac-based systems um, by a PC? Yeah, seriously. Um, You know, Elm is such a great software for pixel mapping. It really is, and there's not a lot out there that runs on Macs. Um, If you really really are stuck on a Mac and you are a a fruit head, I used to be one too, so, you know, we're in this together. Um, But I've really fallen out of love with Apple. Um, in the past few years, you know, really since Steve passed away, um, Steve Jobs, unfortunately, they're in my mind, they're just not the company that they once were. Um, but Mad Mapper, I believe, does have a a, a pretty solid um, LED mapping section in it, and uh, they, they can run on a Mac, but yeah, it does. Um, you know, it's not as quick and easy as Elm, but if you really want to be on a Mac, you can do that. Um, obviously, for the price, you know, on PC, you can buy, you know, or build a new computer for considerably less than than the mac would cost and run and use it dedicated to run elm um there's a lot of big shows doing that um and so i you know kind of recommend that but if you have to be on a mac you know look at mad mapper um, madmapper.com i believe and then let's see let me get somebody else trying to get links here maybe not um so somebody basically writes here and is writing the difference between 5 gigahertz 2.4 gigahertz and 900 megahertz and so we're just gonna leave it there all right, guys, thanks for listening today. It's been fun talking to you. Actually, a little tidbit for those who listen to the end here. Um, I heard the other day from, uh, or today, yesterday, yesterday, from uh, Richard Cadena. He emailed me. Super nice guy. Um, if you're not familiar, he is a, a very prolific author in the professional lighting world. He's written a lot, done a lot of training for professionals and for people who are making a career out of lighting. And, um, and he contacted me out of the blue and, uh, just mentioned that he's uh, featuring the podcast in a upcoming article and uh, wanted to send me some books. Thank you so much, Richard. I'll be seeing those soon. And I'm um, just, you know, just wanted to say hi. And so I appreciate that, Richard, um, for those who are listening. Uh, great to hear from him. Obviously, he's been teaching this stuff um, for a lot longer than I have. And, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot you can learn from a guy like him. So with that, guys, thank you so much for listening today. I hope that you're having a great day. And, you know, hopefully this podcast made your day a little bit better. If it did, consider joining us on a Patreon, learnstagelighting.com slash Patreon, and we will see you guys on the next episode. Thanks. We're, ooh, ooh, little cliffhanger. 
next episode. Do LEDs actually save you any money? We're going to talk about that and more. See you there.